Blog Talk Radio. This is Pat Solver with the Dr. Ways Yen on radio, and I have with me today uh, Dr. Kelly Sullivan, who is one of the nation's preeminent board-certified plastic surgeons, and she has her own Sullivan Surgery and Spa in Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, Kelly, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, I'm glad you could join us today. And one of the things I have to say as I looked over your bio is um, that you managed to attend some very impressive schools, starting with MIT and MD from Harvard, and then surgery and plastic surgery training at Emory. So yes. um, you've put in your time, and I know that you've been practicing for about 20 years, um, specializing yes. in breast surgery, body contouring, facial rejuvenation, and cancer reconstruction. And we're going to yes. talk about all of those things, because what I'm hoping we can do today, Kelly, is to talk about what's hot and what's not in plastic surgery. And why don't we start out by um, having you tell us a little bit about how you spend your time in the office or in the OR now. What, what are the procedures um, that are keeping you busy? Okay, great. Um, so a nice combination of what we call facial rejuvenation, and there's a range of kind of the non-invasive uh, skin and surface treatments all the way up to the more invasive surgical treatments, and then body contouring. Um, and there's kind of an even split, and um, both for young people, it's usually, you know, it's, they tend to focus a little bit more on the, the body contouring um, and the kind of as we get older, older kind of get a little bit more aggressive with, with the facial rejuvenation skin treatments. But what I see, and I think what's really hot in general now in plastic surgery is less is more. So kind of having a much more natural approach to results, almost so that you have surgery, but people, it's not obvious. So people may wonder, hmm, I wonder if she's had anything done or, you know, because she looks great, but she looks very natural. So we definitely have seen seen the era in plastic surgery where it was a bit overdone and, um, you know, very exaggerated. And we still see that in some pockets. But I think more and more um, people are coming in with the approach of, I want to stay more natural. Yes, I want to be fresh. I want to feel good, look good, but I want it to be done safely and I want it to be done naturally and something that's going to stay with me. So let's uh, dive into this and talk about a few specifics. For um, for the man or woman who's getting older and um, and and really doesn't like the way they, their their face has aged, what is your typical approach to them? Um, be, would you start out by suggesting something non-invasive, or would you go right to um, you know a, a facelift? kind of a procedure, how, how, how do you think about that when somebody, say, in their 40s or 50s, mm-hmm. starting to stag, starting to not be so happy right. about the way they look? <laughs> what do we do? Okay. Well, first of all, I mean, my, my personal approach is very much um, 
talking with the patient, man, woman, you know, they're kind of same same approach, and say, what is it that bothers you? When you do look in the mirror, you know, what bothers you? And people are, and I, and I literally will hand someone a mirror because at the end of the day, what's most important is how we feel about ourselves. Um, and, you know, of course, there's there's all different types of beauty. So um, so that's a really good starting point. And, um, and for most people, it's a combination of my skin. I have some sunspots or I have some wrinkles that are forming. I have lines, frown lines, smile lines. Um, you know, I have the shadow here under the eye. Um, and then all the way up to my neck is sagging. My jowls are sagging. So, um, so I, I like to kind of discuss what their concerns are and then offer approaches starting with the least invasive and all the way through and then formulating a plan. So to give you an idea of some great options. So starting, everybody could um, really benefit from improving strength of their skin and appearance of the skin. So it's the envelope. So, you know, um, we can get more aggressive as we go, but starting with skin care, skin maintenance. And it, and it sounds basic, and I guess most people do something for their skin, wash your face, use, you know, lotions and hydrate, that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I always explain to people, you know, if you think about a gym membership, if you go to the gym once a year, you're not going to have the toned muscles and physique that you really are looking for. If you're doing regular working out and exercise, you'll you'll better be better able to kind of achieve that look. Likewise with hair, highlights, you know, or cuts or whatever, there's a maintenance approach. And for our skin, a lot of people forget that that's probably one of the most important things to kind of maintain and protect. So we actually have a skincare membership program where we focus on about every six to eight weeks doing an in-office facial treatment. And so it's a, it's a facial, um, which feels good, but it's really treatment, designed and it's supposed to help kind of reverse sun damage, clear out the pores, exfoliate, get the top dead layer of cells off, get some good hydrating uh, treatments in there, um, stimulate the collagen to get tight and kind of maintain the strength of the skin. And we have, so we see at the very basic level doing that approach to just really taking care of your skin, people will see a real nice kind of rejuvenation in the, you know, face and neck area. Um, and then there's different treatments depending on if you have brown spots, we can do some laser treatments. If you have acne, we can work on cleaning that up. If it's just wrinkles, we can do some treatments like acid peels or PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma treatments, um, to really get in there and, and stimulate collagen. The, the next level of Before you go on, I just want to ask you oh, a question. Sure. So everybody yes. talks about stimulating collagen, and if you go down yes. to um, you know your local uh, uh, pharmaceutical or a drugstore and, and, and you look at products, a lot of them say they have collagen in, in them. Is there really any evidence that any of this stuff actually does stimulate collagen where you can actually, has anybody done biopsies and shown, wow, that microneedling actually did make the collagen um, fill in more? Yes, and there are, and there are different um, kind of different studies for different products, and they're usually driven by, you know, whichever pharmaceutical or whichever company is promoting the different um, products. Um, some work better for others. Um, 
for instance, you know, acid peels. Um, acid getting in can actually get in there and can stimulate the collagen. Injecting something like a hyaluronic acid um, can actually go in and, and almost bulk up your own collagen. It doesn't necessarily, st- it doesn't really stimulate your collagen to uh, grow more, but it does kind of in- improve the the thickness, you know, within the cells itself. So you kind of get that that smoothing effect. Um, so, so yes, there are products out there that work. The problem with the at-home things or walking down to the you know, store to get something, the, if it's not in the right composition you know, to get absorbed by the cells, it, it, it can just sit on the surface of your skin and not take effect. And the other problem is if you, have, um, if you haven't been exfoliating and you have a bunch of dead skin cells on the surface, which we all have um, and need to be exfoliated on a regular basis, then any product you're putting on topically isn't penetrating that, so it isn't actually getting in again and doing what it needs to to, to you know to do. So, so you yes, products can get in and stimulate collagen and help, but you need the right products, um, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing, and you need them to actually get into your skin, and that's where the the more aggressive treatments where you can really exfoliate, get the dead cells out of the way, open up the pores, get the product in where it needs to go, and you mentioned you know the um, the microneedling, that's that's a way to kind of really get in and penetrate the skin at a, at a deeper level to get some of these products in at a deeper position where they can be more effective. So let's talk about injectables. Um, everybody okay. knows about Botox, and people have heard about the fillers. Um, but I did recently hear from a plastic surgeon who said, you know, the the problem with the way we used to do facelifts, and people remember from the 50s the faces that were just kind of, you know, the skin mm-hmm. was just stretched back, is that that isn't really what makes a, a face look old. It's really because you lose volume. First of all, do you agree with that? And secondly, if so, how can fillers play a role in um, in helping somebody to look better? Okay, yes. Um, yes, I, I do agree with it. I think the aging face, it's a combination of volume loss and also descent or dropping of the volume that you do have. It drops down. So, um, so a combination of Botox fillers and in some locations of, on the face, um, surgery kind of can really – address the problem. So um, everyone knows about Botox and fillers. At least in my practice, I see a lot of confusion. People think they're interchangeable and get a little confused about what's used where. And I think a kind of a simple way to think of it is Botox typically is from kind of the corner of the eye up. So it helps the lines of expression, the forehead, the frown lines, and the smile lines. You can also use it to kind of get a little brow lift um, and to open up the eyes and smooth out. So that's, that's Botox. The fillers are in general, again, used from the corner of the eye down to the jawline um, and are used to kind of fill in the deeper contours, so the deep lines, the parentheses around the mouth or nasolabial folds or what we call tear trough deformities, which is like the shadow under the eye that a lot of people are like, oh, I need an eyelid lift. Well, filler can actually fill in that shadow quite effectively and, and, and do a better easier job of kind of smoothing that under eye look than having to have a surgical lower lid lift. Um, the other places where filler can be used to build uh, cheek contour, some people get hollowing of the cheek and that can, can have someone look older and that's, so filling in volume there can help um, or around the jowls area as well. And, and as you mentioned, there's lots of different filler options. Um, they're, you know, depending on the location, different ones, work better for different areas, lips, um, you know, some people want more volume. 
because uh, the lips can thin out with time. But some a lot of people that we see don't really want huge lips or you know funny yeah, unnatural huge lips. lips don't seem to be right. in anymore. No, it's not in anymore. No. So so and you don't you know and and filler does not mean huge lips. So if you pick the right filler, the right volume, and putting it in the right position, you can get a nice definition to lips um, and get that nice sharp almost lip liner approach without getting huge lips. Um, and then the neck area is trickier. Um, so jowls, jawline, and neck. Skin treatments can really help um, somewhat, you know, to tighten that. Um, lasers are not very effective for tightening the skin. They're good for sun damage, but not for really tightening or freshening up the neck. So in the neck area, the sur- you know, once that skin has dropped, really the best approach there is doing kind of a surgical lift. But like you said, it's not that facelift of old where it's, you know, crazy surgery and two weeks of hiding and bruising and swelling and you come out looking like a different person. It can be a very natural, uh, minimal downtime, uh, what we call in my practice advanced mini lift, where it's really just designed to freshen the neck, jowls, and jawline without having that big downtime. So uh, a few years ago, I read that women were trying to have these procedures without general anesthesia because you know, a lot of people are worried about general anesthesia, and in particular, general anesthesia that's often being done in a plastic surgeon's office as opposed to a full-on OR in a hospital. Um, what do you think about that? Well, I think um, so. Uh, the most important consideration is safety. So you definitely have hit on a, a very important concept. And um, the American Board of Plastic Surgery, which is our um, kind of governing body uh, for board-certified uh, plastic and reconstructive surgeons is very um, keeps a very close eye on this and wants the consumers to be educated and to stay safe. So anyone who is certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery is following safety standards and is doing surgery in a an accredited surgical facility. So having your surgery done in an office closet or in a office based OR is really also a thing of old or a thing that is not really a standard procedure for board-certified surgeons. So um, there are safety considerations for accredited facilities. So most elective surgery is not being done in the hospital anymore. They can be done in outpatient ambulatory surgery centers, but they should be accredited. So there there's several different accrediting bodies, but the point is that you have all the safety considerations. You're not taking shortcuts with, um, you know, medications. Um, if you are providing anesthesia, it's done by a board certified anesthesiologist, so a real doctor managing that, so that you're not taking shortcuts there. So, so very important that if you are going to have surgery, it's done at accredited facility in a safe manner with real doctors and you know board certified doctors taking care of you um yeah i'm really glad that the, you brought that up because we did yes. just do a story on um on a child who died having a dental surgery oh. because the dentist the dental surgeon was trying to manage both doing the surgery and managing the airway at the same time and i think the same thing yep. There are cases that have happened in plastic surgery when you didn't have somebody yes. who's just dedicated to watching the airway. So I'm 100% on board with what you just said. Yes, absolutely, and that is so important. And it's and it's hard because I think, um, you know, people don't always know to, what to ask or what to think about, but that is, is hugely important for safety is to make sure you have all of the, the necessary doctors kind of, you know, performing their role in their field um, for safety, and that's very, very important. So, so um, let's talk so, about, um, if you don't mind, I, I want to sure. uh, talk about extremes of age. Um, so 
how how what's the oldest person that you've done a, a major mm-hmm. procedure on? Are there any upper limits when 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 you would say to a patient, hey hey hey, look, you know maybe it's just time to let the natural aging process take place. How do you view that? And I'm not talking about, we all know that 70s, the new, the new 50, but I'm talking about people say in their 80s and 90s. Are, are, are you having right. people coming to you in those age ranges? And if so, what do you tell them uh, both about what they can expect in terms of outcome, but also what about their risks? Right, absolutely. No, important question. And it's a, it's a actually a really great question. We see patients... Um, in all age, you know, ages, and you know, obviously not as many in the 80s and 90s, but I have seen some patients, you know, in those age ranges um, for very specific reasons. Um, you know, I, I I can't remember the exact age, but um, a, a few have come being brought by daughters, you know, who are in their 60s, 70s, bringing a mother who's always wanted to have, you know, this one thing on her face bothers her, wants this removed or has this, you know, doesn't like the circles under her eyes. And, you know, what can we do to kind of make her feel good and be happy? Um, And then I've also had um, several patients in their 80s um, kind of going into these milestone. I think one was a 50th wedding anniversary. Um, Something else was like a big family reunion, you know, kind of wanting to, you know, really look good, feel good to celebrate. Mostly it's face-related for, for that kind of high, um, high end of the age limit. I have seen a few breast reconstruction, you know, breast cancer. Some will say, oh, I'm too old, it doesn't matter. But for some women, it's important. It doesn't matter, you know, how old you are, you know, if, if it's important for you to have a reconstructed breast, um, it's important to explore the options. And, of course, safety, again, is always the primary concern. And so the, the health and their physiological fitness and their physiological age is, is much more important than their actual age because you can have a, a 50-year-old with multiple medical problems that make any procedure unsafe, and we wouldn't do surgery on that, that person. Um, but you could have someone who is in their 80s and very, very healthy. Um, and with doctor clearance, you know, of course, you always get checked. Um, if it's going to be anything involving anesthesia, there's always a kind of see the primary care doctor, check everything, make sure it's safe. Um, and then discuss, of course, risks and benefits, and then also, again, going with the less is more. So what's the least we could do, you know, to achieve uh, your goals? So so in the face, if it's something like a that can be done under local or in the office, like Botox or fillers or, of course, skin treatments, um, you know, those are great because there's really very little risk uh, for those procedures, and they can see some real noticeable uh, changes. Um, if it's something that does require surgery, it's a much more involved conversation and say, okay, um, what is what is the goal? You know, how can we reach it? What is your overall general health? And again, this is where board certified you know surgeons and, and physicians come in because we look at the big picture. We look at we're not just looking at someone's you know lips or you know or cheeks. It's like looking at them as a whole person in a whole um, you know medical situation. And, and is it safe? given all your other medical histories, and then consulting with the other doctors in their lives. And if it's not safe, saying it's not safe to do surgery. Um, and that's true, you know, whether you're 20 or 80. Um, and say it's not safe to do surgery, but here are some non-operative options that we can can consider, you know, for you. Yeah, that, that that's great to have have something else that you can offer, so people don't feel like, uh, well, geez, I really I really had my hopes up, and now I can't get anything. What about right. the other end of the age spectrum, um, and leaving out people who have um, 
you know, congenital uh, issues or mm-hmm. uh, trauma of some sort, and they require reconstructive surgery. For cosmetic surgery, what are you seeing in terms of, of, of really young people? So in in my practice, I don't see um, a lot of unreasonable, you know, kind of young people wanting just cosmetic procedures just to, to look different. Um, we will see certainly some, you know, younger teenagers or early 20s with uh, skin problems if it's related to acne or acne scarring, um, which is, a, you know, again, a, a real situation that we try to focus on what we can do to prevent that permanent scarring and help. Obviously, teenage years are tough anyway, you know, <laughs> and so um, so that, that can be a real thing um, in working with patients on that. Um, you know, you definitely hear about um, the... 18-year-old wanting breast implants for high school graduation. Um, and that's not really something that I think most, again, most board-certified board plastic surgeons, um, you know, really kind of very warily approach that. You know, it's it's a um, anyone under 21, um, it's typically a discussion with both parents, you know, about kind of the need for this, the, the desire for this, the um, risks and benefits, um, and then a usually a consultation also with the pediatrician or the other doctor to say, hey, get what's going on, um, and making sure there's not other issues like body dysmorphic disorder or, you know, they have depression and think this is going to fix it. I mean, there's again, that's the whole, the full medical side of it. You know, yes, we're, we're focusing on more elective procedures, but there's, a, you know, a whole person behind there that you have to kind of make sure it's it's healthy and safe, you know, for everyone. So, so we don't, you know, I don't think that's... Um, Real common uh, these days, you know, the younger ones, it's usually it is trauma-related or congenital if they have asymmetric breast development. Um, that's, you know, that can be very distressing or obviously a car accident or a dog bite or, a, you know, those kinds of things we, of course, see um, in our practice to help kind of repair something that's occurred. But the, the straightforward cosmetic like a rhinoplasty or breast augmentation or even liposuction, those are, you know, again, it's a... It's a much bigger discussion. There has to be some kind of reasonable um, kind of cooperation between the pediatrician, the parents, and the surgeon. And really under 16, I don't think any um, any surgeons would really consider doing those procedures um, just because they're it, it's big for a, a young person to, to undergo that type of transformation. And um, so we'll switch gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. What about men? What are men looking for? Do you have many men um, who are coming Absolutely. to you in your practice, and 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 what is it that they want? So, um, so kind of two camps for men. One is um, the you know professional um, out there wanting to stay relevant, stay fresh. Uh, maybe they uh, have clients that they work with, and so they they want to stay looking young, so they can uh, look into the skincare treatments or also some of these kind of natural advanced mini facelift where it's really a, a quick, easy uh, procedure to just get that nice, fresh approach without becoming feminized or you know, or really changing their look, um, but just making them look better. Men are actually recognizing the need for skin care and, and skin improvement. And so we see a lot of them for the peels and for tightening the skin um, and even some Botox and fillers. Slightly different approach than women. Again, they're they're looking, they're going for a different look, um, so kind of placing it slightly different um, when you do the injections. And then the other side is, you know, the men kind of hit in 40s, the the um, liposuction for the mid area, usually the, you know, what people call the love handles or around the waist is a common area where, hey, I'm working out and I just can't, 
you know, lose lose this stubborn fat right in this area. Um, liposuction is is a popular um, procedure for men who just want to get fit, um, especially this time of year. You know, coming into summer and bathing suit season. So um, those are probably the two most common. The other one, which is more on the reconstructive side, is uh, gynecomastia or male breast tissue that develops, um, and that can be all different ages and all different causes. Sometimes it can just be weight changes or um, going from muscle and losing that muscle tone. Um, but that can be very distressing for men to feel like they have breast tissue. Um, and so doing liposuction to remove that, um, that would probably be the, the third most common um, procedure that we see men for. So lots of stuff going on. Um, yes. <laughs> and um, what I want to uh, wrap up with is so those are all the things that you recommend doing and um, and and people can have their choice between starting not just with the skin or going to uh, fillers and Botox and uh, right up to surgery but um, there are a lot of new things that are coming out that are being advertised pretty heavily one of them is a new treatment for for double chin let's talk a little bit about some of these newer procedures and whether you think they're uh, worth doing or, or, or whether they actually uh, have um, some unacceptable uh, side effects. Yes, absolutely. That's a great question, and I think it's it's probably one of the most important things for uh, patients and consumers to be aware of is there's a lot of marketing out there for what I call gimmicky um, procedures, and I'm not going to use specific kind of names for the different procedures, but um, using laser or using a, a toxin that you inject to try to melt fat or kill fat and make it go away or freeze fat or, you know, whatever, um, they just, bottom line is they just don't work. And in best case scenario, you're, um, you know, it's a waste of time and money. In worst case scenario, you can actually have some bad scarring and long-term consequences. So the problem is um, if there's fat somewhere that you don't want, you just need to, it needs to be lost through weight loss and exercise or removed, uh, which is, you know, with a liposuction where you actually suck it out. Any other forms of melting it. As opposed to melting. So if you, right. So, so for the toxin that can get injected to try to kill, or they call it lysis, you know, to try to kill the fat cells, um, it's a toxin. So you're injecting it and it can kill fat cells, but it can also kill other cells, you know, so there's actually disclaimers in the products that say don't inject it within, you know, two centimeters from any important structure like a nerve or a blood vessel or, you know, so, so it can, you know, cells, but then where do they go? So what happens is they, your body's inflammatory cells come to the area and try to fix the problem because you have damage and then they kind of create scar tissue. So scar tissue over time, if anyone you know, people, most people who have scars know this, it gets hard, it gets thick, and it can actually grow over time, scar tissue can. So now you've turned kind of fat into scar tissue, and so if down the road then you did want to actually try to remove it through a standard um, procedure, it's much harder, you know, because it's scar tissue now, it's not fat cells that just can get soft and removed. So, um, so some of these are actually quite dangerous, and I think, you know, if you look at it, a lot of these kind of non-invasive or minimally invasive procedures are really being offered by non-surgeons um, because, you know, board-certified, you know, real plastic and reconstructive surgeons have other tools, you know, that they can use to address these concerns. And so they will kind of offer, you know, legitimate ways to take care of a problem. Um, of course, we all would love to have <laughs> a nice magic wand that could make the double neck, 
you know, double chin go away or the, you know, stubborn fat just disappear. But unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of those kind of procedures are, are not just not going to work, but they can actually cause more severe problems over time. Well, I want to thank you very much for um, sharing with us what's hot and what's not in uh, plastic surgery. And if I can sum up, I think what I heard you saying is if you're thinking about having some kind of a cosmetic procedure done, the best thing you could do for yourself is to go to somebody who's got the proper training and uh, credentials, and that most likely is going to be a board-certified plastic surgeon. So uh, thank you very much for yes. joining us, Kelly. Thank and you. I hope we have a chance to talk again sometime. Okay, thank you so much.